From ancient times, the Liturgy of the Hours has served as the public and communal prayer of God's people. It has been called the Vox Sponsae, the voice of a bride, addressed to her bridegroom. It is the very prayer which Christ himself, together with his church, offers to the Father for the glory of God and the salvation of the world. Hey everyone, you're listening to Vox Sponsae, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, that is devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours as the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. My name is Nathan Wigfield. I serve as the director of our retreat center, and today I'm joined by my friend Gabriel Crawford in Seattle, Washington. We're going to be talking about the Liturgy of the Hours in relationship to time and human work and how the Liturgy of the Hours serves to sanctify, uh, sanctify the day. Uh, but before we get there, I just wanted to give uh, a little bit of a plug for uh, something that we've just uh, started, just launched in light of the coronavirus and uh, everybody kind of being shut in and uh, staying within their homes. Um, we have launched uh, video tutorials or online tutorials for the Liturgy of the Hours uh, for those who are beginning, just beginning to pray the Liturgy of the Hours or want to get started, uh, we're giving you a chance to to have about an hour, uh, an hour long session uh, with with myself and walk through either the Christian Prayer Book or the four volume set of the Liturgy of the Hours. We'll kind of dive in and, and talk about the uh, the structure of the Prayer Book, about how to pray the different hours. Uh, you know, I'm available to for you to ask any questions that you have and uh, we can kind of work together to get you get you started and uh, help you to be confident in knowing that you're praying the right prayers and uh, you're doing them uh, you're able to pray with the church so just wanted to to mention that before we begin today and uh, but yeah let's uh, go ahead and get into uh, this episode I think we're on episode 10 and uh, I got Gabriel on from Seattle Gabriel how you doing Oh, I'm great. I think I say that every time. You ask me how I'm doing, and I say, I'm great. <laughs> I don't know if it's true or not. <laughs> right now, I'm doing okay. How are the so, little ones? The little ones are good. Um, Abigail is, uh, she's just hitting that like five-week, six-week developmental leap. Um, so she's kind of a bit of a pain in the butt. <laughs> she wants to eat like every hour and a half, two hours, um, and wake up a whole lot. So we're uh, I'm persevering until the end. Well, good. <laughs> How are you? Uh, we are doing pretty well. We're, we're hanging in there. Uh, I think it's been a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit stressful f- at home. You know, Bethany has the kids all day and uh, they're not, you know, we, we do homeschooling, but we have a, a great community of folks that we do that with. But right now our co-op is, is not meeting. Uh, so uh, it's every day, all day schoolwork and, it's just it can be it can be challenging. Of course, uh, yeah. You know, I get to escape for a good part of the day. I'm up at the house of prayer and uh, praying. So I come I come home and try to do do my part to to relieve uh, to relieve Bethany from her duties. But uh, yeah, we're all all that said, we're doing really well. Uh, we have a, a a real gift in uh, having our chapel uh, our chapel here where we're able to to pray. We've been 
on Sundays, we've been trying to keep the Lord's Day holy just by uh, praying office of readings and morning prayer in the mornings. And uh, that's been a real gift uh, for our family. And now that we're in May, uh, we're doing something that we haven't done before. We're giving our giving a shot at praying the rosary every night. Okay. So with uh, with you a, guys make almost... me feel like I'm a pagan family. <laughs> <laughs> we're a bunch of pagans over here. We don't go well, to here... church on Sunday, and you know we pray we pray a meal before dinner. So we're working on it. We're working on it. <laughs> hey, baby steps. Come on. Uh, we have no, but we, hey. we've never done rosary every night. So uh, what was yeah. what's funny is that, uh, you know, last night, uh, you know, I'm really committed to this. I really want to make it work. So we have a three, almost three-year-old, a five and six-year-old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the boys were just filthy. They were playing outside last night before bedtime. And uh, so they needed showers. So it was getting late. And I was like, you know what? We're praying the rosary. And if we need to, we're going to pray while you're showering. So... <laughs> We were just, uh, we were praying the rosary while they were showering, you know, Ava was screaming and it was, uh, it was very, uh, what do you want to say? Yeah, it was something. (laughs) You could just put music on in the background. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Hey, speaking of backgrounds, what are those faces behind your head? Yeah, we got, uh, the divine mercy image and, uh, St. Faustina. So I'm actually, we're, I'm actually recording today. Uh, from uh, Divine Mercy Chapel, uh, just about uh, twenty minutes from from the House of Prayer, and so you're yeah, working remotely. I am working remotely. Well, yeah. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, we're you know plugging away through the general instructions, and last uh, last week we got into both uh, the paragraphs on the Liturgy of the Hours and the work of the Holy Spirit. And then also how how the Holy Spirit works to draw us into communion, uh, not just with with God, obviously, but also with each other. And so we hit on paragraphs uh, eight and nine uh, on the Holy Spirit and on community, praying in community. Uh, this week we're diving into uh, paragraphs ten and eleven in a section in the general instructions titled "Consecration of Time." Uh, this gets into more than just consecration of time. I think, uh, you know, as, as we'll read here, we're going to see that, uh, you know, along with the consecration of time, the sanctification of time, also comes the sanctifying, the consecrating of all of our human activity. So uh, really excited to just, you know, in light of last week, having celebrated the feast of St. Joseph the Worker, you know, I started to think, you know, man, this is a great opportunity to talk about not only about the inherent dignity and the worth and the value of human work, uh, but also uh, how it is that we labor towards sanctifying human work so that it becomes an offering that is pleasing to the Lord and also a a source of our own growth and holiness. That sounds great. All right, so paragraph 10 uh, kicks kicks off it just says i'm gonna i'm gonna read the first paragraph it says christ taught us you must pray at all times and not lose heart the church has been faithful in obeying this instruction it never ceases to offer prayer and makes this exhortation its own quoting hebrews it says through him that is jesus let us offer to god an unceasing sacrifice of praise the church fulfills this precept not only by celebrating the eucharist 
but in other ways also, especially through the Liturgy of the Hours. By ancient Christian tradition, what distinguishes the Liturgy of the Hours from other liturgical services is that it consecrates to God the whole cycle of the day and the night. The, um, that section comes from, one of the lines there comes from um, the Epistle of Hebrews, mm-hmm. which says, Through Jesus let us offer to God an unceasing sacrifice of praise. And um, a couple of days ago, I was when I was praying the, uh, I saw, always say this wrong, the invitatory. Did I say it wrong? I think that's right. Ah, so I don't I always say it, it wrong. I've heard it invitatory or invitatory. Okay. So the, uh, how, do we, how do we start it? We cross our lips and we say, mm-hmm. Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim thy praise. Mm-hmm. And it just get me, got me thinking of, ah, yeah. Um, the liturgy of the hours is starting off each day with this, we're orienting our hearts and our minds towards praise. Like mm-hmm. that this is, this is praise. And, what, and which raises the question of what is praise? Mm-hmm. You know, and and I think Psalm ninety five, which we often uh, go into pray, and you know, it's such a it's such a beautiful prayer, but it got me thinking about like it, it's it starts, come, let us sing to the Lord, and shout with joy to the Rock who saves us. Let us approach Him with praise and thanksgiving, and sing joyful songs to the Lord. And then it goes into this chorus of praise: mm-hmm. the Lord is God, the mighty God, uh, the great King over all the gods. And I love it. You know, I, it's so easy for me to just kind of get into the habit um, and the monotony, the routine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just like rush through Psalm 95. I rush through this part. But the, um, this is reminding me of like, what really am I doing? I, I'm, mm-hmm. praise, I'm praising God. And there are things that, for which I need to praise him. Yeah, I think uh, the invitatory has also been, for me, uh, a really important part of, you know, praying the Liturgy of the Hours, getting the day started. You know, sometimes I find it's a beautiful thing whenever, you know, I wake up and, you know, I open up the Liturgy of the Hours, I open up to the invitatory, and the very first words that I audibly pray in the day are, Lord, open my lips. And my mouth will proclaim your praise. And when these when these words are the first words out of my mouth, it, it really kind of sets the tone, I think. Sets the tone for the day. And as the invitatory psalm continues, it is. It's a it's a powerful it's a powerful psalm. It's a it's a powerful invitation to recall the works of the Lord and to recognize that our praise is fitting. Our praise is fitting because of mm-hmm. who God has revealed himself to be. He has, been, he has revealed himself to be the God who saves his people who are in need of salvation. And I think when we talk about the ultimate end of praise, you know, the ultimate or the, the, the reason why we offer praise is ultimately because we recognize that we are in need of a savior and there is one who has done something for us that we cannot do for ourselves. And so praise is, I think, uh, it's almost this, it's this expression of a heart that orients itself in thanksgiving, in uh, jubilation, in words of exaltation. Yeah, I, 
I just yeah, think... I have a I have a couple thoughts there. Um, mm-hmm. So my my experience of praying the hours on most most days, my first words are not, "Lord, open my lips," you know. Um, mm-hmm. So you're you're praying the office of readings pretty pretty early. That's kind of like mm-hmm. you're going straight there. Um, I'll usually pray morning prayer later in the morning, sometime around eight or or nine. Um, kids are up usually by that point. Um, but I'm usually starting my day with kind of like a, a, pro- a time of private prayer where I'm reading the mm-hmm. scriptures. I actually, I actually start usually with the, um, the Angelus and then I'll, I'll pray the, uh, the sequence to the Holy spirit, mm. uh, from Pentecost in the morning prior to, uh, reading, praying the scriptures, doing a Lexio Divina. Mm-hmm. And so as you were telling this kind of like it gets me thinking about the distinction between how my practice of prayer that's fitting the structure of my life uh, is different from, from yours, you know, but at the same time, you know, thinking about how the church herself begins her prayer with that specific prayer, right? That routine, Mm -hmm. that ritual of Mm -hmm. crossing our lips, Lord, open my mouth, that my, Lord, open my lips and my mouth, my proclaim thy praise. Um, right. The church begins her prayer with praise. Even if even if the a part, like myself, is starting my individual prayers a little bit differently, the church as a whole begins with praise in that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the the distinction between, you know, my prayer and the church's prayer. And recognizing that, you know, it's like, man, I, as you were sharing about, you know, starting your day or just starting kind of your prayer routine with the Angelus, I was like, man, what a better way to start the day <laughs> than to pray the Angelus, you know? I mean, you know, recalling the incarnation of our Lord mm-hmm. and also kind of joining your heart with Mary's heart, you know, in laying your life down, laying your heart down and, you know, saying, you know, I am the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to your word. Uh, this is the posture of the perfect disciple. It's after that that she visits, you know, Elizabeth and then rings out her great prayer of praise. You know, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And I think this is this is where the church begins her day. The church mm-hmm. begins her day. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. But I think individually, I think each of us also have to even be, there's something that precedes that. Um, that exuberant praise, and that is the total submission of our will to the Lord. Hmm. You know, and it's like it's Mary's fiat that almost is the it's the precursor, it's the necessary foundation for the invitatory. <laughs> yeah, you know? we have to. It's so interesting because we have to bracket, or at least I do. I have to bracket my individualistic mindset mm-hmm. um, that I'm a member of the church um, by virtue of my baptism. Mm-hmm. And when the church gathers, when the church prays, right, um, I'm included in her prayer. Mm-hmm. And that, that I'm kind of mysteriously mystically brought into the whole prayer of the church that the prayer that I'm I'm part of it even if I'm not 
participating in it in that moment. You, you see where I'm going there, right? Mm-hmm. And just kind of thinking but, about yeah. how the church fulfills this precept, the, the, um, the instruction says. And, mm-hmm. and we're members of the church, right? And, and, and Christ is the head who prays to the Father and he's praying. And, and he's praying for us and, and praising the Father even when even in these times when we're not like conscious consciously wrapped up in that prayer mm-hmm. it's it the church is unceasingly give, offering a sacrifice of prayer yeah i think uh the i think the church's prayer carries us in ways that we don't even realize you know, it it carries us through, and I think that's why you know the church in her, her wisdom, you know, has at the very least have has priests and religious, you know, vowed to pray, pray the prayer of the church. I mean, these are, mm-hmm. you know, especially especially as priests, as ordained and consecrated as to holy orders, um, exercising their priestly office on behalf of the church to to offer this prayer. And I think the gift that we have as as lay people. Uh, is that we get to participate that in that as well. That's not something that the church uh, withholds from us. The church has given us this grace, it, given us this grace to be able to participate. You know, even knowing that we're not obligated to it, that actually, you know, the church does not, you know, kind of hold us down and say, you know, you got you to pray this prayer. But the church rather extends to us this free gift, this gift of Christ's own prayer, that we're able to participate and even to jump into at any time, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, you know, John Paul II says, you know, something, uh, I'm, I'm not going to remember the exact quote, but he, uh, he commended those who pray the liturgy of the hours with pure devotion out of pure devotion, because it is a, it is a free offering. It's not bound by an obligation but it is rather the offering that we make of it is out of love. Hmm. It's out of love. And so, you know, I think there's, there's all kinds of uh, reasons why it's, it's important that priests do have that obligation. But I think it's also important that laity have that freedom, you know, have that freedom to receive that gift and to make that offering out of, out of pure devotion and out of pure love. And a desire for our prayers to be united with those of the Lord and with the with the entire church. So, coming back to the invitatory, it's like, man, you know, to begin your day by praising the Lord, and you know, and not just doing it in your own words, but to to do it in the words of Christ Himself, to do it with a uh, to join yourself to His prayer in praising the in praising the Father every day. I mean. I, yeah, there's. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, who doesn't want to get in on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think there's so many practices that we can take upon ourselves when we're rising in the morning to mm-hmm. immediately direct our hearts uh, to the Lord. I was listening to uh, Matt Frad's uh, Pints with Aquinas recently. Mm-hmm. Um, in one of his podcasts, he mentioned how at at the time, I think he had a cross, a crucifix, um, next to his bed. And when he'd, he'd wake up, he would um, say some sort of Byzantine prayer. And, and he was talking about that 
practice that he was taking in his life of um, of a prayer upon rising, mm-hmm. basically. And and just as we talk about this, like the invitatory could be a very good practice to take to pray as soon as you're rising from bread bed. So mm-hmm. the liturgy, the hours, like the invitatory does not have to be immediately precede the hour in which you're about to pray. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Well, the the invitatory belongs either right before the office of readings or morning prayer. Oh, does it? Uh, so, okay. yeah. So liturgically, so maybe I'm but I think well, but, but at the same I'm... time, I think what you're saying is that you know you can you know when you when you take like let's say the invitatory psalm and say, hey, I'm going to pray this every day, like when I rise from bed, yeah. you know that may cease to become like the the liturgical prayer that you're offering with the church at the office of readings or morning prayer. But at the mm-hmm. same time, like you are offering this really powerful prayer and you're fulfilling, I think one of the things that spiritually, like all the great spiritual masters have said that we ought to do. And that is as soon as we rise from sleep is to call to mind the Lord and to offer, offer praises. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking here, you know, for myself, I'm so often, um, I can rarely beat the kids, uh, waking up. Like Mm -hmm. they're waking up and then I'm like, and then I try and get up earlier than them. And then when I try to get up earlier from them, they start waking up earlier and (laughs) then I get up earlier and then they start waking up earlier. And all of a sudden I'm like trying to wake up at 6 PM and the day before, and it just doesn't work. You know what we, real quick, we just figured out, we just figured out and your boys are probably too young for this, but we just figured, I can't believe it's taken us two years. You know, we adopted the boys uh, two years ago yeah. And the same thing every every single morning. You wake up, you set your alarm clock earlier and earlier just to get some time. Oh, to, it's the worst. To, yeah. yeah. And they just keep getting up earlier and earlier. We finally did it. We got a clock in the room, okay, a digital clock, and we told them when the clock hits seven, you're allowed to come downstairs. Oh, that's a much better idea. And than it what works. I did. Yeah, that's great. It works. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I started duct taping uh, earplugs into their ears. <laughs> So that's that's a much better idea. Um, but, I mean, that's on top of the uh, piece of plywood and cinder block that I placed on top of the crib so they couldn't get out. But anyway, but, like, so, you know, I, I rarely have the time to, like, that silent time in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. They're getting up quick. and But I, I'm just thinking about praying, rising in the morning, beginning the invitatory. And even mm-hmm. if I can't immediately enter into the office of readings or morning prayer, I think I'm still sharing in and participating in the liturgical prayer of the church, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause the, the, somebody at that time is like the church is, is praying it and I'm, I'm participating in it. Mm-hmm. Even if maybe later I'm going to come back to uh, morning prayer. And when yeah. I do it that way, I'm going to start with, Oh God, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste mm-hmm. to help me. But I'm beginning my day with with something that takes sixty, you know, sixty seconds to memorize mm-hmm. Psalm ninety five and the opening prayer, um, and then go on with my mm-hmm. morning routine of of whatever it it might be. You know, I think that might be a very easy way to start one's day with liturgical prayer, mm-hmm. um, with with praise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we're talking about is, 
you know, is the first moments of the day. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's the one psalm that says, you know, from the rising of the, uh, rising of the sun to its setting, may the name of the Lord be praised. You know, there's just this, this reality, like, this always starts. You know, this movement starts at the very outset of the day, uh, in the morning, when we, when we rise from sleep. Huh. And I think that can be the hardest thing. Uh, just practically speaking, I know for me, you know, I put my phone on my bedstand uh, because I use my alarm. And it can be so easy to, I'm already grabbing my phone to shut my alarm off for the first thing that I do to just kind of open up my phone and to, you know, check my email. You heathen! <laughs> Come on! It's, <laughs> it's like... Get off you know, Google News! It's so easy to do. Oh, I know. And yet, you know, I've tried, I've tried, you know, getting up and getting on my knees and praying the morning offering and it lasts for about a week, you know, and then I, you know, stop. It's just a constant struggle. And so, you know, and I think there's a reason why, you know, St. Jose Maria Escriva said, you know, called this the heroic minute, you know, of waking from your sleep and one, not hitting snooze, you know, waking immediately, but also with that, you know, falling to your knees and making an offering a morning offering of your day to God. Yeah. Uh, this is what, you know, if we're going to talk about consecrating the day to God, sanctifying the day, it starts right here. This is this is the moment. And if if you are battling the kids in terms of, you know, trying to vie for some quiet time in the morning and they're waking up, at the very least, it's like, you know, okay, what can I do? I can get up get on my knees. And in this case, you know, as we're talking, pray the invitatory Psalm or, you know, pray a morning offering uh, to consecrate, consecrate the day through that, through those first moments that you are awake. Um, Just, you know, and obviously this is an imitation of Jesus. You know, Jesus, he rises up early, you know, before, uh, before dawn, he rises up early in the morning to pray. And like with that, one of our one of our big themes here is we're emphasizing that the liturgical prayer has pride of place. And so mm-hmm. when you're getting up in the morning, there's all kinds of great devotional practices, whether you're Matt Frad grabbing that crucifix, whether you're praying the morning offering mm-hmm. um, or, you know, maybe the invitatory. So like, you know, if if one would choose that. It's not that it's better than, but perhaps it has a, a pride of place. Um, mm-hmm. If, if um, as the precept here says, the purpose of the Liturgy of the Hours is to sanctify the day and the whole range of human activity, and the Church fulfills this precept of praise, especially through the Liturgy of the Hours, and it has a pride of place. Yeah, I think it's, you know, Augustine said that, you know, man does did not know how to praise God, and so God gave us the words by which we are to praise him. And, you know, speaking of the Psalms, and I think this is, you know, the reality that, you know, if we want to begin our day with praise, there's the perfect praise that we have, and it's contained in the Liturgy of the Hours, that perfect praise that we can offer to God that is attached to it are the graces of of the sacred liturgy. And I think that's where, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I was just reading a, a document from Paul the Six on uh, Marian devotion, you know, and he spends this whole document kind of explaining, you know, and going through, you know, how important Marian devotion is in the life of the church and also in the life of individuals. 
And he gets to a point where he, he says, Marian devotion is really important for families. And he talks about that practice of praying the family rosary uh, together. But you know what he says? You know, it's interesting because he takes a moment to say that the liturgy of the hours is like deserves pride of place. But second to it, the highest prayer that we can pray, you know, as a family is the rosary. And I just thought it was interesting in this whole, this whole document that's devoted to devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. He just takes this little kind of this little sentence to just remind us that the highest prayer that we can pray together, even as a family, is the liturgy of the hours. And the reason for it is obviously because it is sacred liturgy and nothing can take its place. And so the graces that come to us through the praying of the liturgy of the hours are unlike uh, the graces that we can receive from any other practice. And I think that's why we can say, or the general instructions can say, that the day is literally sanctified. It is consecrated to God through the liturgy of the hours. It's not like, you know, the general instructions doesn't come out and say, like, hey, uh, if you pray the liturgy of the hours, this can be a nice way to make sense of and to find meaning and purpose in the work that you're doing throughout your day. Hmm. You're not making meaning here. Right, exactly, exactly. But you're actually affecting something. When you pray this prayer, you're affecting, something is being affected through your offering of this prayer. And it's, it's the salvation of your soul. It's also the salvation of the world. It's the sanctification of our day and the whole range of human activity. It's, the grace is, it's unfathomable, the grace that comes to us through the praying of the Liturgy of the Hours. And awesome. just a, you know, I, I, and I think the reason for it is because, you know, as the Catechism states, that it is the extension of the Eucharist. You know, that the Liturgy of the Hours is the extension of the Eucharist. You know, we go to Mass and we receive the Eucharist, and we do that in, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. We go out throughout the day, we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, it's almost like we extend the Mass. We extend the, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass and the gift of the Eucharist into the various hours of the day and the work that we're, uh, we're entrusted with. You know, I think this is a, this is a good transition, right? Let's get, into, let's get into the meat and potatoes here. You know, the right. butter and the biscuits. I'm the ready. cookies and the cream. Um, <laughs> we're talking about consecration of time mm-hmm. um that the the purpose of the liturgy of the hours is to sanctify the day so what is when we're talking here about consecration of time let's define our terms what it what does that mean when something yes. is being consecrated you know so consecration i believe comes from a latin word that gets at to actually to make something sacred yeah i'm putting you, you know on the which spot here Okay, to make something <laughs> sacred. Yeah, 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 yeah. In order to, but how, how is something made sacred? You it's know, set it's apart. Like, it's set apart for worship. It's mm, set yeah. apart to give glory to God. You know, so if we're consecrating something, we're literally taking something that's good, that has an inherent good to it, mm-hmm. uh, that is, invest. It, obviously that goodness is always invested by its creator, but um, it, and it always finds its source in God. But we're taking something good, and we're making we're making something of it and offering it to God, in uh, to give right worship or to give right glory to Him. Right. So, 
if we jump into um, the Old Testament here, right? There were um, there are people that were consecrated. There are also things that were consecrated for worship. So there are people consecrated for worship, and things consecrated for worship, and mm-hmm. um, like the the holy of holies, mm-hmm. right? Or the the vessels used for sacrifice. And I think that's a big part too. Is these things set apart for worship is being set apart for sacrifice in some way. It has it's relating to sacrifice yes. in some way. You know, the yes. sacred vessels in the temple, or a priest, prophet, and king, who are set apart by God for a specific purpose. So you know, so that would be another aspect of set apart for worship or set apart for a task. Mm-hmm. Something that's consecrated, made sacred, that's been chosen by God mm-hmm. for His purposes. You know, even creation itself. I think of um, in the very beginning of Genesis, of creation itself is set apart as something that's good. Yeah, and ultimately, you have, you know, I mean, creation. You know, God looks upon creation. You know, and his, his, the work of His own hands. He says, "This is good." This is good. This is good. And then he creates man in his image and likeness. You know, he places him in the garden and he entrusts him with the task of working and tilling, you know, which mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, same language used uh, later on in Exodus. I think it's uh, the language that's used around uh, priestly service in the tabernacle is the same word that's u- words that are used for uh, for working and tilling the earth. Oh, interesting. And so. Yeah, there, so there's this priestly, there's this reality like Adam was created to be a priest. He was, and what is a priest? A priest is a mediator. A priest is a mediator. And so what, how is Adam a priest? Well, he's received his own being and he's received all the gifts of creation from God. They've been entrusted to him and to his care. He's then, in, he's then given the task to do something with it. But as a priest, he's not only mediating God to creation, but now he's taking creation and making something of it and offering it to God. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the whole this is the whole movement of consecrating something. It's the it's the movement of receiving something from God, uh, it being entrusted with the task to make something of it, to make to make something of it, to exercise our God given creativity, uh, to exercise our intellect, our will, to exercise our our, our minds uh, and our imaginations to exercise these things that God himself has given us in order to make something of it, to offer it back to him, to offer it back to him for his glory. And I think the, the, where this all comes to a head is that, you know, ultimately it's he who perfects it. You know, mm-hmm. he takes our work and he perfects it. Our, you know, our meager offerings, it's not like the Lord needs them, but he perfects them and he gives them back to us. And I think this is the whole movement. Where do we learn this? We learn this in the liturgy itself, you know, in the offertory. You know, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have what? We have received the bread that we offer you. And what is it? It's fruit of the earth that we have received from God, but now it has become the work of human hands. And as we offer this to him, what, do, what, what is he going to do? He's going to multiply it. He's going to sanctify it. He's going to return it to us. And it's going to become the very bread of life. Mm. It's going to become the means of communion. That's so good. Um, The word clericalism gets thrown around a lot. 
And I think this is the heart of, when we talk about clericalism, this is the heart. So all people, all human beings um, set apart by God to offer uh, their work, the, to offer creation back up to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we know, by virtue of the incarnation, right, um, that Jesus is, makes that possible as the one mediator. Yes. And we participate in his self-offering. Um, but when, when we lose sight of everyone's priestly work mm-hmm. and that it's simply the work of the professional clergy person, then that's clericalism. Yes. You know, it's the offertory just says it so clearly, like the priest, the priest is the one who's, who's praying this. Um, but we're uniting with the priest. Like we're offering not just like the, the bread and the wine that does become um, the precious body and blood of the Lord, but it represents all of our lives mm-hmm. that we're spiritually communing and sharing in and offering up with this bread and wine. Yes. Yeah, and I think there's uh, there's a sense in which, you know, as the laity are called to, the lay vocation, the lay vocation is to become for the world what the priest is to the church. You know, so you think of, you know, the Mass, the priest goes on our behalf to offer the sacrifices, to take our offerings, mm-hmm. and, to, and that they may be united with his offering at the altar. He's been consecrated to do that particular work, right? And to offer it to the Father. But the lay, the lay vocation is specifically not to the, the work at the altar, but is to take up that priestly vocation in the world to take up the offerings, to take up all that is in the world and to to bring it back, to bring it back to the sacrifice, to bring it back to Christ, to unite those offerings with him as they are offered to the Father through the ministerial priesthood. And so I think there's this beautiful thing, you know, you even think of the movement of the Mass, right? The movement of the Mass is, you know, both one of being gathered uh, and then uh, giving praise of recognizing our own our own sin, of receiving uh, the word of God, mm-hmm. to being prepared to unite our offering to the, that of the priest at the altar, um, as that is offered to the Father, and then to receive that bread from heaven, uh, to be strengthened, to then go and to be sent into the world, and that whole movement. And as we're going to be sent into the world, I think you know we're we're going to take that which God has given us, and to share it in the world. But we're also being sent to take up everything that we encounter in the world and to bring it back to Christ, to bring it back to its true end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, as, par- as parents, as laborers, as, you know, whatever sphere of, of life that we find ourselves in, to take all that is created that has been entrusted to our care and to bring it back to God and to make of it an offering, uh, through Christ, so that it may be perfected. Let me bring out um, paragraph two of Apostolicum Actuositatem. I've been practicing that. Nice. It says, uh, the laity... <laughs> the apostolate... This is a, oh, yeah. a document from the Second Vatican Council on the apostolate of the laity. The 16th document, to be precise. Um, and then, um, what's the one that follows up with it in the 80s? Christified Dele Um mm-hmm. That's trivia. 
I hope I get a sticker. Anyway, uh, the lady. You get one for me. I never got a sticker as a kid. I was. I anyway. Um, the lady likewise share in the priestly, prophetic, and royal office of Christ. You know that's what we're talking about. That the mm-hmm. lady likewise share in the priestly um, office of Christ here. Just like, but the priest in a higher and distinct, in a distinct way, participates in the priesthood of Christ uh, mm-hmm. in the order of Melchizedek. Um, and so that, that, that wasn't the actual, that part wasn't the quote, but the laity likewise share in the priestly office of Christ and therefore have their own share in the mission of the whole people of God in the church and in the world. Um, the mission, part of the mission of the laity is to sanctify the world mm-hmm. through our share in the priestly office of Christ. So in its deepest sense, secularism is when the laity does not participate in this priestly office of um, making all things sacred by offering it up to the Father. When we mm-hmm. fail to do our duty of sanctifying, of uniting our life and everything we're doing, our work, our relationships, when we're failing to do our duty of, of uniting it to um, this sacrifice, that I think that's sec- secularism. Things aren't being made sacred. Yeah. Like the natural order of things is not to become more sacred, but it's to become, it's to die. It's to be distorted mm-hmm. by sin. Like mm-hmm. what I mean by the natural order of things, like things, like things are decaying, dying by, because of sin. But Christ is redeeming all things. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're called into that work of making all things sacred. Yeah, it's a... Uh... There's a document that I came across that speaks to this. Um, it was just a it was a letter that was written, written by a cardinal in the in the late 70s, um, on the occasion of uh, the National Liturgical Week of Italy. But he writes this letter That's in, so in this. It is it's <laughs> very it's very random. I gotta cite it at least though. But he says he, he says these words. This is found in a really large book that uh, comes on uh, documents on the sacred liturgy. So it's actually. It's actually collected as being like a, a church document uh, mm. on the sacred liturgy. But he says to savor the office means to have the ever more profound conviction that this prayer, as it marks the hours of the day, is not flight from the world of real life, but a working along with God to bring about the world's salvation. And I love that language. Mm. You know, the special vocation, vocation and as... Uh, as the uh, document on the Apostolate of the Laity says, this the special obligation of the laity is to take up the renewal of the temporal order through its consecration and its sanctification. This is our special vocation. This is what we have been called to, to take up uh, the task to, as, the, as that document puts it, says, to penetrate and to perfect the temporal order with the spirit of the gospel. And so the question is, you know, how do we do that? How do we do this? You know, how do we take family, culture, econo- economics, arts, you know, po- politics, all these kinds of things? How do we take these things and how, do, you know, and bring them to Christ? How do we how do we penetrate and perfect them so that they become all that they're intended to be in Christ? And I think what it comes down to is it comes down to 
being exercising our priestly vocation, not just in terms of doing our work well, being a good parent, you know, right. being a good. This employee. isn't a Protestant work ethic. We're not talking no, Calvinism. Exactly. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it it does not have its end in making the world a better place. Its end is directing these things to their true and proper goal, which is to serve the doxology of of God, to serve the giving of glory to God, to serve the worship of the temple. Yeah. And, and you so, can't you can't have this without sacrament. <laughs> like because there is the Eucharist, there can be this. Because yes. and even before the Eucharist is because there's the incarnation. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean the ultimate sacrament, the very body, the incarnated body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and then in the Eucharist that that the bread and the wine becomes his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Um, material things are permeate. I don't know how to say it. Become divine. They're uh, elevated. They're elevated. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like. Yeah. Um, brought up into mm-hmm. divinity. Elevated. Um, because there's sacrament. Everything else can be sacramentalized. Mm-hmm. Including. Yes our very lives. We are, we are, the human person is a sacrament. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's made sacred, something that's mysterious, sacramentum, mysterious, um, something that's been, I mean, that's baptism, right? United into Christ, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, mm-hmm. Which is when we become priests, the, you know, it's when we become priest, prophet, and king. Right. You're a king, Nate. You're regal. <laughs> it's like St. Paul says. He says, do you not know that you're already reigning? <laughs> you know, seated so seated with Christ at the right hand of God. I mean, this is, uh, but I think ultimately, you know, I think the church as the sacrament of salvation, right? I mean, if we're going to talk, if we're going to talk about, you know, incarnation, sacraments, you know, we can't leave out like the church, which is the which is the context for all of this to, to take place. So the church mm-hmm. is a sacrament of salvation is the extension of the incarnation into time and space. You know, we continue to extend and we continue to extend the graces of the incarnation. And obviously this is only because Christ remains with his church, right? <laughs> like through, through the sacraments. But when we look at the mass, when we look at Christian worship, what do we see happening? You know, what do we see when we walk into a church, we see a cathedral, we see, you know, stonework, we see painting, we see, uh, we see liturgical linens, we see fabrics, we see bread, wine, water, oil, fire, beeswax, <laughs> uh, marble, you name it. We see everything that's been received from God and is now the work of human hands being offered, being offered for the glory of God to, to enable us to serve us in our worship of him. What about purple carpet in like a multi-purpose room <laughs> building that's now... I am not going to comment. <laughs> Thank you, 1980s. <laughs> Sorry. But then, but then you can... But, you know, even with that, you can get into, you know, aesthetics and how, mm-hmm. you know, you can get into the argument, is there true and objective, like, measures of of beauty and... Uh, you know, think uh, things that are more fitting 
you know, for worship? You know, why is it that, you know, we seek to offer God the best? You know, why is it that we seek to, why is it that, you know, throughout human history, some of the greatest, you know, composers and uh, artists and writers and philosophers, why is it that so many of these are Catholic? Mm. <laughs> you know, it, offering their work, offering their work in the service of the temple. Um, I don't you know, know. I think Kanye West's a... new album is pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's really good. So, I mean, I put him up there with Palestrina. So, uh, <laughs> it's pretty blasphemy. good. Blasphemy. No, it's good. <laughs> Have you listened to it? Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> it's a digression, but it's good. It's good. He's not Catholic, but it's good. But I think, you know, bringing this back to the Liturgy of the Hours is that if there is a way that we can assure that as lay, as lay people that we are exercising this vocation, um, that we are exercising this vocation to the best that we the, the best that we can, most faithfully, that we at least in some measure, I would just encourage us. I mean, it's it, again, it's not an injunction, it's not a command of the church that we do this. Right. But I think the liter- if we want to be as faithful as we can to sanctifying the day and the whole range of human activity, we're going to pick up the liturgy of the hours because. It's every time we pick up the liturgy of the hours. It, I didn't think I didn't think this was going to go back to where we started. But you know, when you said about Mary's, you know, beginning your day with the um, with the Angelus, you know, if if we're going to pick up the liturgy of the hours, it starts with this conviction that I am the handmaid of the Lord. It starts with this conviction that without God, I can do nothing that I am the lowly servant. So when I go out into the world, no matter how hard I try at being a better parent, no matter how hard I try at being a better employer or more more faithful in doing the work that has been entrusted to me, no matter how hard I try, there's no human offering by itself that is worthy or fit for human mm. for worship of God. Mm-hmm. It is only in Christ, it is only through Christ, with Christ and in Christ. And so what does the Liturgy of the Hours guarantee? What does it guarantee? It guarantees that we are able to do those things through him and with him and in him throughout our day. It gives us the grace to be able to do that. And if we can only do it at nighttime and offer the whole course of our day to God just through a praying night prayer for five minutes, you know, at the end of the day, if we can only do that by setting aside time in the morning to pray the invitatory psalm, if we can only do that on our lunch break, pray in daytime prayer, what in whatever measure we're able to do that, I it's all for the better. It's all for the better because it enables us to tap into, tap into the prayer of Christ. And it's only the prayer of Christ that is able to sanctify and to consecrate and to make things fitting for worship. You know, I think as we're coming to the end here, um, there's a difference between precept and opportunity. Mm. The church says, here's the precepts. You got to go to mass on Monday, on Sunday. You got to confess at least once a year. Yep. You got to give some money. Um, a couple other precepts, but then opportunity, like the church says, here's, exposition of the blessed sacrament like here's adoration here's the rosary here's the liturgy of the hours uh these are all opportunities 
to experience the age to come now, mm. right? Mm-hmm. To experience the kingdom of heaven consummated now. Mm-hmm. Though it's, it's already, but it's not yet. Um, here are the precepts that you have to do, but here's the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking as you were as you were sharing that that you know it is a, it is an opportunity. It's you know the the language of the general instructions is you know we the laity have a warm invitation or warmly yeah. recommended yeah. you know to take up the liturgy of the hours because of its objective value um, as litur- as liturgical prayer. Mm-hmm. But I think you know there's something to be said for the reality that we find ourselves in, in which. A lot of times, I mean, I'm just going to speak frankly that, you know, the laity kind of feel like they're on their own in terms of picking and choosing what to do and how to, how to do it. Right. Especially and, when you have the Internet and there's so much stuff out there. Choose this, right. choose that, choose this spirituality, choose that one. Consecrate yourself to St. Joseph. Consecrate yourself to Mary. Yeah. Consecrate yourself yep. to this. Yeah, there's, there's so, there's so many things. Yeah. And so I think it's easy. The Liturgy of the Hours, because of... Because this, uh, the desire of the Second Vatican Council has uh, been has not been fulfilled. That is the desire that pastors of souls devote a good part of their ministry not only to offering at the, at the very least Sunday vespers and liturgy of the hours on on holy days, um, but that they instruct the faithful in in praying the liturgy of the hours. That they invite instruct. And they enable them to understand what they're doing because this it's has neglect. been, le- but yeah, because it it's has neglect. been neglected, it be, it has fallen into our hands. And so, whereas you know, if we're gonna go back, if we're gonna press, you know, rewind and go back before the Protestant Reformation, you know, the reality is, is the office was the prayer of the church. And what did that mean? It wasn't just like, oh, it's a prayer of the mystical body, and we know that when we pray it, other people are praying it too, and so therefore. You know, I'm not praying it alone. No, it was, it had a physicality to it because it was being offered in the cathedral. It was being offered in the parish. You know, and lay people knew that, you know, in the, during, throughout the day that they could, they could visit their churches, they could visit their parishes, and at least even being illiterate, they could come to share in some measure in the divine praises because they were being offered liturgically every day around the clock. And so because this is so far removed from our experience, um, you know, we kind of feel like the Liturgy of the Hours, naturally feel like the Liturgy of the Hours is just one of a plethora of devotions that we could choose from. And so, It's also I mean, really our, hard. Like, it, realistically, it's it hard be, yeah. to do. Like, for me, it is really difficult to stop hmm. what I'm doing mm-hmm. and pray. It's not an easy practice at all. Yeah. You know? And that's where I think, and this is... <clears throat> where my thought was going about precept and opportunity um hand in hand with what we're saying is the uh church's doctrine on indulgences hmm. and here's where i'm going with this a couple days ago in the magnificat um there was a reading and i can't remember exactly where it was but basically it was emphasizing how Everything, every fault we have, every aspect where we fall short, Jesus took it all up in his life. His merits mm. are mm. inexhaustible. The, church, the, the treasury of the church's merits through 
Christ himself, Jesus himself, and then on top of Jesus, right, um, all the merits of the saints, the Blessed Virgin mm-hmm. Mary, mm-hmm. Right? as Paul would say, whatever is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, I heap up in my own body. And it's like, what, anything's lacking in the suffering of Christ? What do you mean, mm-hmm. Paul? Anyway, this inexhaustible treasury of the church, merits of the church, she offers to us. So I can, if I only fulfill the precepts of the church, everything else in which I'm lacking, Jesus has taken up. Hmm. He's offering it to the Father. The church is offering it. Um, and maybe I'm not making any deposits into the bank. Um, hmm. Maybe I'm only maybe I'm only withdrawing. Um, oh, it's inexhaustible. And darn it, thank God. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I, I, I think I'm in debt here. I think I withdraw more than I deposit. But, oh, man. It's more and it's better than we deserve. I think, uh, you know, in this life... I think we always ought to be feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, I I don't feel like I'm de- making much of a deposit at all, but I'm just drinking. I just keep drinking from this fire hydrant of grace. And exactly. it's just like, it, you know, and it's given it in so many places. You know, it's just poured out in, you know, it's a cup overflowing. And mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, it's like, man, to be thankful for the gifts that, you know, really the gifts that God has given us both in Christ and in all his saints yeah. through all his saints. And that's, uh, it's perfect that you say this as you sit in a chapel of divine mercy, like over your shoulder as you're talking, hmm. you know, I see the image of um, divine mercy, mm-hmm. right? Of, And at the heart of that is the fount of mercy is inexhaustible. Mm-hmm. Inexhaustible. Indeed it is. It all flows from his heart. I just want to offer a little bit of encouragement. Um, when I when we were preparing for this podcast, I was just thinking about how the greatest gifts that you know I know that my wife and I have received are our children, and you know the greatest. Uh, the greatest thing that I can do, you know, to to take what I've received and to offer it back to the Lord is to to assure that I myself as the steward, the the steward that God has made me to be, that I am offering him praise. That I have I am offering him praise and I'm looking for every opportunity to both to save my own soul, but to, to sanctify to sanctify that work, to consecrate that work to God, you know, so that my children, when I get to heaven, that my children can be my offering, Mm. that I'm able to offer them to the Lord. And the only way that I'm able to do that, because I'm so imperfect and I'm so lacking in in virtue, the only way I'm going to be able to do that is drawing from the infinite merits of Christ. And where do those come to us? Where where do they come come to us from? They come to us from the liturgy. They come, They just come streaming out in their fullness from the liturgy. They are a torrent of grace. It is a torrent of grace. The litur- sacred liturgy is a torrent of grace. Hmm. And, you know, it's whether the, it's... And the source and summit is the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, Eucharista, to give thanks. Gratitude. 
Mm -hmm. right? At the heart of it all is gratitude. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up just by letting everyone know, uh, letting everyone in on some exciting news that I just found out this week. And that is that next week I'm going to have the opportunity to interview Father Timothy Gallagher uh, for our podcast. And we're going to be able to post that not next week, but the, the week after. So in a couple weeks, uh, you'll be looking for a podcast interview with Father Timothy Gallagher. He's a renowned spiritual director, retreat master. He's the director of spiritual formation at uh, St. John Vianney Seminary in Denver, Colorado. Uh, he travels travels a lot giving retreats to priests and, and to laity alike. And he's written a lot of books on Ignatian exercises, uh, discernment of spirits, the examine, uh, examine. Uh, but he's also written two books on in recent years on the Liturgy of the Hours. Uh, the first book was on his own personal journey of discovering the uh, the depth and the, just the magnitude of what the Liturgy of the Hours is and how it has, uh, how it could be a great blessing, how it is and can be even more a great blessing to his priesthood. Uh, the second book was a book that he wrote as a layman's guide to praying the Liturgy of the Hours after he had encountered, he has encountered as a priest so many lay people who have taken up uh, this, uh, not precept, this invitation, you know, has ta- have taken up this invitation to uh, to pray the prayer of the church out of pure devotion and a recognition that uh, this is truly a way to, uh, you know, to offer to God the unceasing uh, sacrifice of praise. So he was inspired by that and wrote a layman's guide to the liturgy of the hours. So I'm really excited to get to, to interview him and just kind of hear more of his story and ask him some questions. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so really excited about that. So stay tuned for that. And uh, just once again, don't forget about the uh, online, the virtual tutorials of the Liturgy of the Hours. It is a hard prayer to pray, as Gabriel pointed out. It can be, it can be really tough uh, to do sometimes and uh, can be tough to figure out if you're just beginning. So uh, give us a call or shoot us an email. Uh, you can uh, call us at 814-676-1910 or email us at info at liturgyofthehours.org if you want to set up a time to, to do that virtual tutorial and get started and pray in the Liturgy of the Hours. But I think that's a wrap for today. Yeah. Why don't we end with uh, by praying the Angelus? Gabriel, since uh, we talked a bit about the Angelus today and just uh, entrusting uh, this, uh, this conversation and uh, the things that we've talked about to... Uh, to Our Lady. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord declared to Mary. And she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. And let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may, by his passion and cross, be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Gabriel. All right, dude. Hey, thanks. Definitely. All right, see ya. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to Vox Sponse, a podcast on the Liturgy of the Hours brought to you by the St. Thomas More House of Prayer, a Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Erie, Pennsylvania, with the mission of praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, the public and communal prayer of the Catholic Church. For more information, visit us online at liturgyofthehours.org.